Welcome to What's Up with Betsy Johnson, the podcast from a longtime Oregon legislator and keen political observer discussing what is right and wrong with government, politics, and public policy. Treasurer uh, Tobias Reed and I spent some quality time together since you and I spoke last. Uh, Tobias is right now the treasurer of the state of Oregon. He's running for secretary of state. And uh, Tobias has within his power as treasurer the opportunity to know what the state's financial condition is. There are some programs unique to Treasury that can speak to his issues of education, innovation, and infrastructure. And we had gone out to see a plant that used to make rail cars and um, uh, industrial marine equipment, barges, and big um, uh, ships that not like super steamships, but ships that ply the Pacific Ocean between Oregon and Hawaii. I was actually at the christening of a couple of those that were built at Gunderson. And it's really remarkable to see them built and they come down a ramp and splash into the Willamette River. Uh, I rode one of the barges down the ramp and held the velocimeter to see how fast the thing comes down out of the production facility and literally into the water for the first time. It's 15 miles an hour, one five, and it is a very big deal to to have all the chalks that support the, the, the vessel knocked out and the thing actually goes into the water for the first time. We were out there talking to the new owners to see what might be available to them in terms of state investment in economic development. There had been as many as 1,800 people working at the rail and the marine division of Gunderson. The rail division is shut down now, but a lot of those people were my constituents. And it, it across what used to be my old Senate district, where I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks, the lamentation remains the same. No matter where you go, business needs welders. They need highly skilled uh, career technical types of, of, uh, of employees. They simply cannot find employees. So commercial driver's licensed people, especially welders, people in the electrical trades, uh, employers are desperate for these folks. And so in talking to the people at Gunderson, as well as a company called Hayak that is up at the very mouth of the Columbia River, they need at least 50 welders apiece. And these are welders that are trained in some of the esoterica of welding, like underwater welding. And so uh, Tobias Reed and I and the new owners of Gunderson were scheming and plotting on how we can develop curricula and develop it across a spectrum of stuff. First of all, can OMIC, our old friend OMIC that you and I've talked about for damn near two decades, can OMIC help in realizing the efficacy of some of the new welding techniques? And these are welding techniques that were beyond imagination a short time ago. And I'm gonna get laughed at by engineers and people that are wise in these disciplines when I say that linear friction welding actually gets, instead of doing the traditional where you get the torch and that mask, and this gets pieces of metal that are prone to wanna to do what I'm about to describe. They get the molecules going at a rate that the molecules actually bond to each other and the weld is effectuated that way. I, that is so simplistic that I'm almost embarrassed to repeat it. The point that I'm trying to make is 
that we need these new disciplines and our community colleges and our career technical schools and the uh, trades apprentice programs need to have the equipment and the teachers and the technology to make sure that our kids are capable of discharging all of these different skills in a in a, a marketplace of the next century. So uh, we did that. And then um, Treasurer Reed was good enough to also spend a little bit of time talking with a, a hospital at the mouth of the river that is embarking on a very major renovation that will allow them to not only serve their community in terms of specialties and subspecialties, but will also elevate their degree of acuity that can be handled in emergency cases. And so uh, Tobias uh, Reed spent a, a, a bit of time with them talking about what all might be in the realm of the possible. Tobias has been involved in uh, innovation issues in and around the state by his own personal interest and by dint of being the treasurer. So this has been kind of, for me, a, a, since you and I talked, a political time. I am uh, aggressively raising money for the fellow that I hope is going to be the next district attorney in Portland, a guy named Nathan Vasquez, who is right now a prosecutor and has been for nearly a quarter of a century in the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office. Uh, and unlike our current district attorney who has, you know, maybe done a jaywalking case or two, Nathan just convicted a triple murderer last week. Nathan and I went to the same law school, he much later than I, and as part of his last year, interned at the district attorney's office and found a niche that he is very, very good at. Nathan will prosecute and hold accountable some of the people that are the bad actors in downtown Portland, including people that, I mean, the, the murder rate in Portland continues to go up and it's sort of startling. I was out in a community called Lentz. Lentz has been very hard hit by drugs and crime and prostitution. Uh, the list just goes on and on. And um, I, a couple of blocks from where I was a week ago, talking with TriMet and the city about how to help Lentz, a mother of three was murdered. And so we need a DA who's actually going to do something. Mr. Schmidt is, in my view, a, a dilettante who talks a good line about criminal reform while his city goes to pieces. And I am very, very eager to see um, Mr. Schmidt replaced by uh, Mr. Vasquez. And so I have been um, hanging out with him and have been hanging out with other People now that the political season is well underway, county commissioners that uh, are in the county where I live that are seeking re-election, done some fundraisers for them. Uh, and um, and so the, the political season has started in earnest in Oregon. You spent a lot of time for other candidates, too, I'd venture to say. Probably more than you spent on your own re-election efforts in some cases prior to you running for governor, of course. Um, but it's not unusual for you to get involved and help people who seek public office. Uh, part of the reason I would imagine is because you can, and part of the reason is also because you know how incredibly difficult it is to get elected to just about anything, whatever, whether it's state or local office. Well, especially when, like in the case of Nathan Vasquez, where he's taking on his boss. 
uh, that's a little awkward. They're in the same office. The difference is that Nathan is a very skillful prosecutor and uh, until just recently, and I don't know if he's pulled out or not, but uh, his the current DA, Mr. Schmidt, was planning on going to Lisbon, Portugal on the public dime to investigate what Portugal has done about drugs. Well, he doesn't need to go over to Portugal and sip sangria and eat tapas. He needs to go to 3rd and Davis in downtown Portland and look around at how bad the crime situation is driven by these high octane drugs. One of the things that you and I have talked about before, I'm working on ballot measure 110 and trying not so much to repeal it, in fact, not repeal it. We want to reform and fix it. So there is some accountability and some motivation for people to go into treatment and not the way that the voters set it up when they passed this stupid, silly bill in 2000, it was a ballot measure, in 2020 that functionally um, made personal amounts of drugs uh, legal. And so uh, the promise was that we were going to have treatment and not punishment. That's fine. The problem is that Portland and Oregon have been very maladroit in setting up the treatment part of it. And so um, there is decades of evidence that judicially enforced treatment of those unwilling or unable to seek voluntary treatment does produce successful outcomes for individuals and the community. And um, Oregon has had a, a, a robust history of drug court programs. I've spoken at drug court graduations. They've worked well and they've helped a lot of individuals find access to treatment and recovery and by extension a better life. And so um, the, uh, the We Love Drugs crowd is ramping up hard. I understand that Mr. Soros and his like-minded people are pumping money into trying to um, uh, cripple our reform and fix initiative. Uh, we've got public opinion on our side, and what we've got to do is to convince the legislature that they need to fix this uh, badly written, badly implemented measure uh, that was that was 110. Uh, certainly the people that are opposed to doing that are pulling up old tropes like we're just re-waging the failed war on drugs. That's hogwash. We are, I mean, in Oregon, people, unless you're selling bales of drugs, don't generally go to jail uh, for drugs. Um, we want to try to help more people get better treatment faster and believe that we have um, a good case to do so. And we'll be asking the legislature to implement uh, changes to ballot measure 110. And if they are unwilling or unable to do so, then, um, or, or their changes are so de minimis as to not make any difference, uh, then we're prepared to go to the ballot with an initiative to, to uh, bypass the legislature and get citizens to weigh in on how they feel ballot measure 110 is working. Um, I mean, 
the legislature has made a few little changes to ballot measure 110, but they're they're de minimis um, and they don't really address the core underlying problem that decriminalization of these lethal drugs has caused. Uh, so anyway, I, I'm working on that and um, and very hopeful that the legislature, as we started out talking about them stepping up to help the arts, I hope that they will step up to fix ballot measure 110, which in my estimation and the estimation of a lot of people think has been a catastrophic failure. Well, let me shed some light on the uh, trip to Portugal, Lisbon, Portugal. So uh, checking out an article from Willamette Week, apparently uh, D.A. Schmidt is not going to go because <laughs> I, I had to love this quote. Let me find it here. He's not going to be able to make this trip work in terms of his schedule. <laughs> Yeah, he's not going to be able to make this work in terms of the public reaction to him flying to Portugal when his own county is is falling apart. Well, and the other thing I wanted to point out from the story is that, let's see, where they had a quote from a doctor here. Um, apparently, uh, a doctor that uh, Willamette Week talked to said there's not a lot of equivalence between Oregon and Portugal, given the differences in their health systems and approaches to coercive treatment. So one begs the question, why waste money on going to this when there doesn't seem to be much in common? Good, hey. good question. The <laughs> other thing is that Schmidt just did an interview in Willamette Week. Thank you for reminding me. And for people that aren't from Oregon, Willamette Week is a, um, a, a very hard-hitting publication that is not mainstream um, uh, legacy journalism. Uh, they are a scrappy, they started out as kind of an underground paper. Willamette Week and I have not agreed on bunches of stuff, but I will credit them with good writing and better reporting. Uh, and uh, I've just had the opportunity to, to uh, listen to in a um, presentation their young writer, a woman named Sophie Peel, who uh, whose reporting led to the sh um, departure of our very corrupt uh, Secretary of State, Shamia Fagan. It was Sophie Peel's really dogged reporting on that subject that had uh, Secretary of State Shamia Fagan step down in disgrace after it was revealed that she had a side contract with a uh, marijuana company that she was auditing and feeding them the questions and taking a $10,000 a month contract plus a bonus for every license that was issued in Oregon. And despite her efforts as this was uncovered to save herself, uh, there, was, there was no plausible explanation for her doing what she did. And it was Willamette Week that uncovered that. So Schmidt did an interview in Willamette Week and gave himself glowing grades for the wonderful job that he had done. And this whole article did nothing but blame other people. It was the police's fault. It was the state's fault. It was everybody else but him. Not a scintilla of responsibility or, uh, or acceptance of failure on his part. He's doing a fabulous job. Well, I'd like to send him back to private practice in Uzbekistan. So I'm working very hard to try to make sure we get a new quality DA. 
Thanks for listening to What's Up with Betsy Johnson. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please email questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, at BetsyJohnson.com.